You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Hi, thanks so much for joining us for TCC at Home. My name is Michael Geyer, the lead pastor here at Treasuring Christ Church. I'm thankful that you've joined us uh, online today. Uh, it wasn't our plan to, to meet uh, online, uh, but due to a number of circumstances, we had to do so. Uh, and uh, if you're joining us for the first time or stumbled upon us, uh, I would love for you to join us next week in person. Every Sunday we meet at 1030 at the Cinemark off Carpenter Road in between Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. And we would love uh, for you to join us. And I can't wait to be back together uh, with our church family. Um, but today is a little different, though we won't have uh, music, uh, we'll just be bringing the message. I would encourage you after the sermon to, to follow the, the links in the comments, uh, to, to just respond to the Lord in worship there, uh, right where you're at. If you have kids, we've suggested some songs, and, and for others uh, as well, just an opportunity uh, to respond to God's Word and worship. would love uh, for you to do that um, after, the, after the message today. Uh, well, today we're going to continue... Um, uh, our sermon series, uh, our Advent sermon series, kind of a follow-on message to what we've been doing the past four weeks as we walk through uh, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, but uh, I especially want to just talk with you uh, about what it's like to move on from Christmas. Uh, what, what is it like as we move on from Christmas into the new year to, to follow Christ uh, after Christmas? Uh, Christmas is now over, and, and so what now? Uh, it, it was funny this week I was in Target uh, doing some last-minute shopping a few days before Christmas, and it was with some of my kids, and uh, apparently everybody else was also in Target at the same time. It was crazy uh, in there, lots of shopping going on, and uh, as we're shopping and looking for things, uh, my oldest daughter said, hey, Dad, look, they're putting out stuff for Valentine's. Uh, and so it just struck me, and I was reminded of how easy it is to move on uh, from Christmas. We weren't even at Christmas yet, and we were moving on. I don't even think that you could find uh, Reese's Christmas trees uh, at the time. That Now there are only uh, Reese's hearts, uh, but the good news is whether it's trees, hearts, pumpkins, uh, eggs, uh, you know, you should always uh, take advantage of an opportunity to get a Reese's. But um, the, the reality is in American culture, Christmas is this mixture of um, deep Christian tradition mixed in with kind of consumerism on steroids. And, um, and in the midst of all that, it's easy to, to lose sight of, of Jesus in the midst of, of Christmas, uh, but it's also easy just to kind of move on and, and not really take to heart what we've been doing all Christmas season in terms of turning our eyes to Jesus and, and adoring him and delighting in him. Uh, and so as we come to post-Christmas and, and what does it look like for us to follow him, I know that we all find ourselves in different places. Some of us, Christmas was great this year. Some of us, it was hard. Um, some of us uh, have experienced loss, and this is the first Christmas without someone. We've experienced that in our family. Uh, some of you, you have a new addition, and it's a joy to celebrate Christmas. We also experienced that with the birth of our uh, our fourth son, our fourth child. Um, <clears throat> and um, and as you as you think about your own Christmas. Uh, we all have had a year, no doubt, uh, that perhaps was hard and, and difficult in some ways. Some of us are ready to move on uh, and head into the next year. I saw a meme that 
that said that moment when you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022, T-O-O. Uh, and uh, so while we're excited to move on, maybe we're a little nervous about moving on into the new year, afraid of what uh, the new year will bring. Uh, the reality is the Advent season even has some like guardrails that help us focus on Jesus, maybe even more so than other times. And uh, after we move on, it's like, well, how do we keep Jesus before us? I mean, during during Christmas season, they play worship songs everywhere you go. I mean, like where else, when else can you get that? So you move on beyond all that, then what's next? Well, I think what I want to do is is remind us that Christmas is a call to worship. And so as we think about moving on from Christmas and what it looks like to follow Jesus after Christmas, I want us to remember the call to worship that's woven in uh, to the gospel uh, and to the birth of Christ here in Matthew 2. Um, And so this isn't going to be a sermon where we uh, walk through everything in, in great Uh, great detail today. I wanted to bring a shorter message uh, that uh, hopefully uh, is conducive uh, to you as you're worshiping there at home. And uh, I've done this enough now to know uh, for families, uh, it's um, more than challenging with kids to to do this at home. And and honestly, for everyone, uh, sometimes uh, the the longer the sermon, the less is taken in and the quicker we move on uh, to something something else. Uh, And so uh, I just want uh, to provide some reflections on, on Matthew 2 that, uh, that hopefully are an encouragement and even challenge for us uh, as we move on from Christmas and, and head into the new year. When I say Matthew 2 reminds us that Christmas is a call to worship, uh, it's important to, to kind of remember the context. Matthew 1, we've seen that Jesus uh, fulfills uh, Israel's history. We looked at the genealogy. He's the son of Abraham who brings God's blessing to all nations. He's the son of David who establishes God's kingdom um, uh, that was promised in 2 Samuel 7. And uh, at the end of the genealogy, he's the promised one who delivers Israel out of exile as they wait for uh, this kind of redemption that's to come. Matthew 121 sums it up. She, speaking to Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel says to Joseph, for he will save his people from their sin. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus was born to die that we might live. It's through his death that we experience the forgiveness of sins. It's through his death that we come to have new life. And he was, he was born for that very purpose, for the forgiveness of sins, that we might have new life in him. And in Matthew 1, we have this theme of fulfillment, and Matthew 2 continues that. We see how there's this visit from the Magi. They come, and they come from, the, from afar, from the east, it says, because they had seen this star. And they come, these wise men, who this mixture of kind of sages and, uh, <clears throat> and even astrologers uh, looking at the stars, telling the time, coming most likely from the area of Persia to, uh, to Jerusalem uh, and to Herod, who who is the king, which it mentions in verse uh, 1, the king of Judea. And they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Kind of an audacious question to ask the one who's currently the king of the Jews. Um, Because we saw this star when it arose, we've come to worship him. 
And, and, and what unfolds is, is this scenario in which Herod gathers all his people and, and they look at the scriptures and say, well, that's in Bethlehem that that's supposed to happen. And, and so Herod pulls the Magi and says, aside and say, hey, after you go, come and tell me where he's at because I want to go worship. Obviously not intending to worship him, but being threatened by him. It says in verse 3, he was troubled. Um, he was threatened by this announcement and he wants to get rid of the threat. And they go and they see, and we see this uh, worship that's characterized in, the, in the, the wise men, the magi. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house. They saw the child with Mary. They fell down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasuries and they gave gifts to Jesus, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod because of his intentions, but to go another route. <clears throat> not only do we see the fulfillment um, of God's promises that are going to play out in this section, uh, but coupled with that, we see God's uh, divine intervention to ensure his plan comes to fruition. Just like in the circumstances of Mary and Joseph's life, an unideal circumstance of uh, being betrothed, not yet married, but being promised to one another, Mary being with child and uh, them not yet having uh, consummated their marriage and the scandal that that would have been. And yet all of this is to bring about uh, the circumstances where Joseph, who's from the line of David and whose hometown is in Bethlehem, God's fulfilling his promises through all these crazy circumstances, the same way it's happening here. Even in this visit from the Magi, this call to worship is going to unfold a crazy set of circumstances that are all about the fulfillment of the scriptures and God's divine intervention and protection of the, the baby of the child Jesus for the purposes of fulfilling his promises that he would ultimately forgive us of our sins through his death and resurrection. And we, we see this play out because after uh, the Magi leave, uh, Joseph and Mary are warned to go to Egypt because of Herod's intentions to kill this, to kill Jesus. And so it says they get up in the middle of the night and they go. And it says this is to fulfill what Hosea 11 said, out of Egypt I'll call my son, which is a fulfillment of a, wasn't really a promise about the Messiah. But, but instead what we see is that Jesus and this, and this part here in a way is reliving Israel's history. He's going into exile himself in Egypt, just like Israel did. And he's going to have his own exodus later being brought out after Herod dies. An angel comes, it says in verses 19 through 23, and he returns and he's warned it through uh, the son of Herod as king. And so rather than going back uh, to the area of Judea, he goes to a place called Nazareth, which is to fulfill what was said. He shall be called a Nazarene, which isn't a... Uh, an exact quote, but instead an idea that the Messiah is going to come from the root is the same word as Nazarene, the root of Jesse. From this humble origin is going to come the Messiah, is going to come the King. And Jesus is coming not from Jerusalem, but from Podunk, Nazareth. And God's working all this together to fulfill his promise to bring about the Messiah in exactly the way he intends. He's working out all of these things to, through Jesus for him to relive Israel's history. The difference between Israel and Jesus is Jesus goes through all of this. He goes into exile in Egypt and his exile is marked by sorrow and suffering like it says in verses 16 through 18, just like Israel's was. And then God brings him out of Egypt back into, into the promised land of Israel. This new exodus of sorts. The difference between Israel and Jesus is that 
Jesus does all of this not because of his sin, but for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the one who comes to deliver us. He's the one who was promised, and he's the one who's come to, to deliver on what God promised, to, to, to bring us out of exile. Not only Israel spiritually still scattered, but uh, physically still scattered, but spiritually separated from God and in sin and needing to be rescued. And the twist in all of this is we see that Jesus not only comes for Israel, but he comes for all nations. It's, it's interesting to take Matthew 2 and Luke 2 together. We have Jesus as um, uh, birth is announced to the shepherds in, in Luke chapter 2. They come and they worship Jesus. But here in Matthew 2, it's the, the Magi, the wise men from the east who come. Uh, on one hand, in Luke, we have uh, the lowest of the people of Israel who come and worship. We're reminded that Jesus came to the least. He therefore came to all. And here in Matthew 2, we have the, the, uh, the noble among the Gentiles from the east, these Magi who have come with great wealth to give to Jesus. From the least to the greatest, Jew and Gentile, those who have nothing, those who have everything. God has come for all people to forgive their sins, to invite them to worship him. His birth is not only an announcement of good news, but it's an invitation to worship. And that's what, what's what unfolds in, in Matthew chapter 2, is we have uh, this call uh, to, uh, to worship. <clears throat> I don't have time to go through all of these passages, but just, just write this down this week and go look at these passages. Look at Numbers 24, 15 through 17. There Balaam says that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Perhaps these wise men from Persia had heard of this promise while Israel is in exile and they come seeking the star out of Jacob and the scepter out of Israel. Go and read Isaiah 60, which says that God is not only going to draw uh, Israel back to himself from the nations, but he's actually going to draw the nations to himself. And when they come, they're going to bring gold and frankincense, as Isaiah 60 verse 6 says. You'll begin to see how God is working out all of these things to fulfill his promise. How in, in the midst of the sorrow and suffering of exile in Jeremiah 31, as, as Rebecca weeps and refuses to be comforted, as it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, go and read Jeremiah 31, which says, though there is weeping now, there is hope. And that hope is found in a new covenant in which God is going to forgive us of our sins and he's going to put his spirit within our hearts and he's going to call us to be his very own people. This is what God is doing in Jesus. And in the midst of all that God's doing, how he's divinely, sovereignly orchestrating all things to, uh, to, to protect and preserve the life of Jesus so that he might fulfill the promises of God to save us from our sins, we see this call to worship. And in the Magi's uh, coming to Jesus, we see their worship is characterized by, by three things that I want you to see. I want you to see joy, sacrifice, and obedience. It says that when they uh, <clears throat> saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There was joy. The search was over. What they were looking for, they had found. 
No doubt their physical journey led to a joyous discovery. How much true should it be for us in all of our lives as we think about all the longings, all the anticipations, all the things that we are looking for often in the wrong places or elevating the wrong things to the place of God when God opened our eyes to our need for him, our sin and his provision for us. What joy there is in that. That's the joy that that our worship is to be marked by. And so that means we need to regularly return to the good news of the gospel. We need to regularly return to what God has done for us, to remember that, to refresh ourselves in that, to renew the desires of our heart for God, and and to remember who we are in Him and what He's done for us. That's what worship is about, joy that's found in Him. Not joy in our circumstances, not joy in our performance, but joy in Him. Worship is to be marked by joy. We see that with the Magi's search for Jesus, but also it's marked by sacrifices. They came bearing gifts, and, and, and their gifts were sacrificial, gold, frankincense, myrrh. This wasn't a, a, a peasant's offering. This was, uh, this was a generous, sacrificial gift to Jesus. And we see this theme. I'm pulling these out here because these are the very themes that are marked throughout the scriptures. That our our lives are to be marked by generosity, the gift that he gave us. How can we not respond in generosity? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. When when we think about what God has done for us, when we think about uh, the salvation that we have in him, how can we not give freely and sacrificially of ourselves to him to give of our money to give of our time to give of our skills and abilities worship is is responding to what god has done and and that response is to equal what he's done for us it's to be sacrificial there's not limits on our worship we're not like god you get like a little bit of me but not much you know i, I it's like this with gift giving that marks the christmas time uh, you know, every every year there's a sense of wanting to make sure we spend the right amount and, you know, kind of checking out everything. And yet there's also this competing desire to be generous and sacrificial and extending love and showing my love for the people that I love, for, for the people in my family, for those I'm close to. How can we not, in our worship to God, have a worship that's marked by sacrifice? But not only sacrifice, but but ultimately obedience because they were warned in this dream by God not to go back to Herod, but to go a different way. And and I think this obedience that that marks this in some ways is a courageous obedience because no doubt they knew who Herod was and and what he was capable of. And in fact, his role uh, over Judea. And yet they chose not to listen to the king and listen to God. And to go another way, which is obviously God sovereignly protecting the life of Jesus, but but also demonstrating through them that the very worship was apparently more than just kind of coming to kind of give an honor uh, to another king that was born, but traveled from afar, bringing these gifts, a sense of this very thing that Isaiah 60 was talking about, that the nations were coming to worship Jesus. That's, that's the kind of worship that we're to have, a worship that's marked by obedience. Like if we say we worship God, but our life isn't marked by obedience, then we're probably worshiping something else. So we have this call to worship. And we're reminded as we move beyond Christmas, we we move on doing the very thing that Christmas calls us to, to worship him. And, And I think it's important for us. That's a familiar idea, a common idea. 
Yet it's good for us to be reminded of this and, and particularly to be reminded <clears throat> of what, what lies behind our worship and sometimes what keeps us from worship. So let me ask you one, one uh, question and, and give you one warning. The question is this, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from giving God the worship that he's due? What's keeping you from sacrificial worship? What's keeping you from obedience to him? What's keeping you from your joy being found in him? Maybe it's sin that you need to address, or maybe it's just difficulties you're going through. Maybe, maybe you're distant from community. Maybe, maybe there are areas that, that you just need to talk to someone. Maybe there's some things that you've gone through that are hard and you don't know how to process. Maybe there's questions that you have about the faith. Maybe you're not sure about something. I say often at TCC, we want to be a place where we lift Jesus above everything. We give people the space to work through what they're doing, to be where they're at, to be okay uh, with where they're at coming as they are, as well as the time for God to work through them because as we come to him, he doesn't leave us where we're at. Like Jesus, plus that kind of space, plus that kind of time is a church that anyone can grow in, as Ray Ortland says. That's the kind of church we want to be. But the question a lot of us have to ask ourselves is what keeps us back from worship? What's distracting us? What's, what questions do we have? What, what sin do we need to address? <clears throat> we, we look at Herod here in Matthew 2, and he's a pretty terrible guy. He obviously uh, is going to order the killing of all the two-year-olds and under in, in Bethlehem, which would have been a, probably 15 to 20 uh, kids, but no no less significant for the families that it affected. And, and and yet somebody who's willing to do that obviously is a terrible person. And, and yet the evil that's in Herod is present in some form in all of our hearts. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, we don't want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. In every human heart, there's a little King Herod that wants to rule. And that's threatened by anything that could compromise its power and its sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. How true is that? We often seize that in small ways and in big ways. And I'm asking you to take stock of your heart, what's keeping you from the kind of worship that God's calling us to. I'm asking myself that. Church, I want to be known as a people who worship Jesus above everything. Let's be that people as we move beyond Christmas, who accept the call to worship and who grow deeper in our worship, who grow more passionate in our worship, more faithful in our worship. Marked by joy, marked by sacrifice, marked by obedience. That, that's the fuel for living out the mission that God's called us to, is to have our hearts red ablaze with a desire for God and a longing for him, a, a treasuring Christ, a delighting in him, as we say at TCC, that our delight in him leads to declaring and displaying the gospel. So the question is, what's holding you back? But the warning is this, watch out for indifference. I think about the, the religious uh, scribes that Herod called together, They're his Bible guys. He's like, hey, what are these magi said there's a king born somewhere. Like, oh yeah, it's in Bethlehem. I mean, I don't know how there wasn't like a bull rush on Bethlehem to find Jesus when these Bible scholars say, yeah, it's in Bethlehem that the promised Messiah is going to come. And here are these magi saying, we heard this and there's a star and it's been, we've been following. Like, how can you not? And as far as we know, they don't. Maybe they're scared of Herod. Maybe, maybe some of them win. I don't know the full story. 
behind it. But from what we read, they say, yeah, go here. And then Herod's like, yeah, when you get there, just come back and tell us. Like how easy it is to be familiar with the things of God and yet that lead to indifference towards God. And here's the thing about going indifference towards God marked by going through the motions. The thing is you go through the motions and then you realize that the motions have moved you further from God. Because the thing isn't just about having stuff up here, but it's about having this transformed. It's about our hearts being renewed. And that's why worship isn't just saying, yes, I know God here, but it's saying, yes, I trust God. Yes, I love God. Yes, I delight in God. Yes, I long for you, God. And that's why worship isn't just an emotive expression, but worship is about obedience. It's about our lives being changed. It's about us saying yes to God, not my way, but your way. Watch out for indifference, how easy it is to just allow indifference to slip in and for it to to allow that familiarity to breed contempt for that indifference to move us further from God. Maybe the gift of this Christmas is that it wakes you up from some indifference. Maybe just a little bit of neglecting the Bible reading, maybe a little bit of neglecting gathering together with God's people. Listen to me for our college students, for our families, for our young professionals. All of you in different ways have strings that tug on you to feel too busy for God, too busy for his word, too busy to gather with his people. Like we all have it. Maybe it comes in different ways. Don't think you're alone. But what but I need us to hear is not to allow that indifference to move us further, but instead for us to be awakened and return to God, remembering this call to worship. God, say to God, forgive me for my indifference. Forgive me for neglecting this. Forgive me for getting too busy with this. Forgive me for, God, for, for thinking I know better than you. What's keeping you back? Be careful for indifference. Accept this call to worship. We see in the passage, we we can't go through this all in full detail, but we see the, 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 the obedience no matter the consequences with the, with the Magi. They're willing to, 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 to listen to God over the king of Judea. How much do we need that? You see, Jesus was born in a world that opposed him at his birth, that was marked by violence, that was marked by sorrow, that was marked by tragedy, that was marked by suffering. And he came into that world. And that same world he came into is the world we live in. And if we're going to worship him, no matter the circumstances, we need to be willing to obey him no matter the consequences. Just like we see the Magi do here. How much we need this word when it's easy to shrink back, it's easy to pull back. How much do we need to be challenged to press into God and obey him no matter the consequences, to, to work out our faith? Maybe you're, how do I work out my faith in my workplace? How do I share the gospel with my friend or, or my neighbor? How do I talk to this classmate? How can I be faithful to God and yet compassionate? How can I hold up truth and grace? How can I hold up love and how can I hold up conviction together? How can I follow God in a world that opposes him? Well, it's the world that Jesus came into and our hearts our hearts have to draw close to him in worship, and that worship is marked by obedience that doesn't compromise, and no matter the consequences, as well as trusting God when we walk through sorrow, just, just like we see in the sorrow of the children being killed in, in Bethlehem, the promise of Jeremiah 31 is that though there is sorrow now, there is going to come joy, because God is still at work. 
Go read Jeremiah 31. It says that, it quotes this, and then it says, weep no more. God's working is going to bring about this new covenant. We, live, we shouldn't be shocked by living in a world that's violent, in a world that's marked by sorrow and suffering. Don't be surprised by it, the scriptures say. I'm not saying that we won't struggle, that there won't be challenges, that it won't be hard. What I'm saying is in the midst of it, know that you can trust God. That's the encouragement to us, that we can, we can obey him no matter the consequences, that we can trust him no matter the circumstances. That's what real worship looks like in the daily grind. And those moments where we are thinking about sharing our faith and those moments where we're faced with a difficult decision and those moments where we're just tired and those moments where the sorrows keep coming on top of each other, the challenges keep backing up against one another. We don't lose hope. Jesus entered into this world in order to save us from our sin and to give us new life. He's coming again. If his first coming calls us to worship, his second coming certainly calls us to worship. So as we move beyond Christmas, my, my challenge to us is, is let's not just skip the Valentines. As much as I love the Reese's hearts, let's press in to what Christmas is, invites us to. Let's press in to worship. Let's take stock and let's ask God to make us worshipers in this new year that would deepen our delight in him and fuel our mission of declaring and displaying the gospel. What a joyous time Christmas is, but Christmas doesn't last forever. We move on now but the invitation is still the same. Let's be people who worship Jesus no matter the circumstances. Let's pray.